Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. About 60% of children from birth through age five are involved in at least one weekly non-parental child care arrangement. Our kids were, at one time, part of that 60%. If you're a regular listener, you know that I'm a working mom. And while my kids have spent hours at the law office, at one point, my middle daughter actually started a rival advice offering at an extremely competitive nickel rate. There were times when we benefited from them being away at childcare. At one point, when my son was still quite young, we figured out that it would be cheaper and honestly a better option for us to have in-home childcare than to send all three of them to preschool. So we hired a nanny. Our nanny was a local grad student, and you can imagine her surprise to find out that she would be working for a tax attorney, which means that we absolutely paid her on the books. But that's not always the case for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that it can be complicated. So today, Jay Schultz is joining us on the program to talk about nanny taxes and household employers. Jay is the proud father of two busy young kids. He started his career as a financial planner and investment consultant before spending four years at the FBI, where he served as a special advisor in the cyber division and the director's office. He is currently the president of Homework Solutions, specializing in providing household employers and their tax preparers Real Solutions for Nanny Tax Compliance. Thank you so much, Jay, for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So let's talk about the challenges that families are facing right now, in particular with respect to childcare options, because it's something I think people are talking about a lot. And there are there may be people now who are looking at different kinds of arrangements that they hadn't considered before and don't even know where to start in terms of especially tax compliance. So What are you seeing in terms of your customers and what they need and kind of the challenges that they're facing from the get-go? Yeah, it's been an unprecedented year on so many fronts, right? Um, If we look back almost a year ago, everybody was trying to figure out what were they going to do? You know, they were working from home. Could they still keep their nanny? The employees were trying to figure out, do I even want to go to work, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And, and then throughout the summer, as people were looking at school and, and going back, we started to see more and more people asking about shared childcare arrangements, right? Mm-hmm. Because they had reason they didn't, their schools weren't reopening or they felt uncomfortable sending children back to school. And so we saw lots of people looking into um, pandemic pods or parenting pods and teaching pods and hiring a teacher directly to provide education and, and guidance to four or five kids at a time, maybe. This is not very different than the traditional nanny share that we see every day in our business, right? A shared childcare arrangement where uh, a few different families are contributing to the financial costs of a nanny who is going to care for children in both families, but both of those families are employers. This is where it gets complicated, right? Because Mm -hmm. your average uh, family doesn't understand HR, right? They don't know all the rules of payroll and labor law. And there's so many questions around it that we spend a lot of time educating people in them and, and helping them understand what it means to be an employer, what your risks are, and the benefits of paying on the books. As you said yourself, uh, Kelly, when, when you did that analysis a while ago, you thought, what are the risks if I don't? Uh, what are the benefits if I do? And we're helping them understand why 
employees in particular deserve to be paid on the books, uh, to have access to unemployment benefits, retirement, disability income, paid family leave, and then all the things that they deserve by law of overtime and, and the ability to have verifi- verifiable income and, and the tax breaks that are really available to both employer and employee when you set up a nanny share or when you just employ a caregiver directly. Well, and let's talk about nanny shares and nannies in general, because I think this is one of the reasons that folks actually don't comply. So I I kind of alluded to the fact in the beginning that there's a lot of reasons, right? Like I think one of them is, what is a nanny? What makes you an employer? Because the thing is, and, and this is interesting, is that a lot of times when we we actually did uh, kind of double duty with our nanny because our nanny wasn't to live in. She was um, she provided uh, in home care during the day, but then occasionally on the weekend, if Chris and I wanted to go out for the evening, we'd call her up and say, "Hey, do you mind sitting?" Right. Yep. So we had neighbors that were like, "Oh, she's the babysitter." She wasn't the babysitter. She was the nanny, and she occasionally did some babysitting. So, kind of, what's the distinction? Like, what makes someone? an employee versus somebody who's occasionally, you know, like the babysitter who who would be a, a 1099 versus a W-2. Yeah. So there's not really a distinction in labor law between the nanny and the babysitter, right? If you look at IRS publication 926, if you really want to dive into the details, that's the, the Bible for household employment. Mm-hmm. And really what everything revolves around is control of the working relationship and then whether or not you meet a wage threshold. So in 2021, the wage threshold is going to be $2,300. Once you've paid somebody $2,300, FICA taxes apply. And that's the number that people generally look at and say, if I'm paying more than that, I'm an employer and need to pay taxes. In reality, from a labor law perspective, you're an employer from day one. If you're controlling the working relationship and you have somebody in your home, you have obligations to that person. And whether or not their tax obligations is a separate and distinct fact to be decided. But we tell everybody from day one, from the first hour an employee is working, you should treat this as an employment relationship, whether or not you know that they are going to be working for you for an extended period of time. The thought that somebody's just a babysitter, I will tell you that word itself is charged within the nanny community, right? If you're talking mm-hmm. to professional caregivers, oh yeah, <laughs> um, right? What these, these women and men do is amazing work that's so vital to keep our households working. Mm-hmm. There, there was an instance uh, in a, a nomination for a cabinet position uh, a few years back where that that term was used and it caused an uproar, right? Somebody said, I just had, I thought I just had a babysitter, right? But I mean, this is somebody who's working in the house for a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. What you really should do is look at this and say, look, is this an individual who I am going to be employing and having working in my home on a regular basis? Am I controlling the work? Am I setting the schedule, right? Am I telling them where they are to be, what they can do with the children? I'm not allowing them to sub out the work, obviously, um, because right. this is childcare. So not too much subcontracting going on here. All of those factors really point to a control relationship and the fact that this is employment from hour one. It's pretty rare that you can say this is an independent contractor unless you can show that somebody is holding themselves out to be their own business, marketing their own services beyond just you know, responding to, to job posting on a listserv or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But they are actually taking financial risk and setting up their own business, developing a website. When those things happen, yeah, somebody might have their own business and they're going to file their own taxes. But generally speaking, in childcare, and not only childcare, but senior care as well, anything in-home caregivers, they almost always are going to be found to be an employee. And when you mentioned earlier the timing factor, I also think that is confusing for folks because 
let's say you have a nanny that doesn't work out. So somebody who you have for a couple of weeks and then you maybe find someone else. And yeah. actually uh, a friend of mine, her nanny got pregnant and left and, and she was devastated, but she had yeah. to find somebody else. If you have multiple nannies in a year, I think sometimes you think that you're not the employer, right? Because you have no one is there long-term. Right. So what is, is there a timing factor? What do people need to know about that? Yeah. Again, there's not a threshold with a number of hours. Extremely common that you have multiple employees in a given calendar year, right? Because things don't work out because plans change for a family and they decide to move across the country. And obviously most of the, the nannies don't want to up and move with them. And so you really should view each of these as an employee. You should treat them the same way, provide them all those benefits that all other employees are entitled to. You know, the just the number of hours is is not sufficient to say you're not my employee. Again, you can look, you know, if you're trying somebody out on a trial basis for a week or two, you should still treat them as an employee from hour one and you should still think of yourself as an employer. But I believe as financial professionals, we have a, an obligation to our clients to talk about risks, right? And and what those financial risks are. Your clients should know that if they have a caregiver working in their home, they might be required by law to have workers' comp insurance. Not right. just the, the, the legal risk there, but also if somebody gets hurt in your home and they are your employee, they're working for you, they're probably not covered under your workers' comp policy. And people need to be looking into that stuff. And so those are all just reasons that we tell everybody from the first hour that you have somebody working for you. You should think of them as an employee. Treat them as such. Get set up so that you can do this right, right from the very beginning. And since most of us are employees at one point or another, you know, we're not used to being employers. Like I was, I think maybe that was why it was easier for us because we ran our own business. So having our business at home, that wasn't much of a reach for us. But if you're used to just being the person who gets the W-2, you don't even know where to start. So how do you start? I, I know that services are a great place to start because they can, you know, they do the screenings and they help you out with the tax forms and they do all of this in advance. But what do you need to look for? Like, what do you need to know when, when you find the perfect nanny, which is hard enough, right? You finally find the person that's the best fit. And then what do you do next? Like, if you know that you, like you mentioned workers comp, you know that there's stuff you need to do. Mm -hmm. How do you figure all that out? Yeah, there's a lot to tackle, right? And it's it's not things that people usually think about. We're all used to getting our paycheck and you know, we're looking at the net pay number, right? Gross pay numbers and net pays. And for the most part, that's what people know. But there is a lot more that goes into it. And we at Homework Solutions and the other payroll services that are out there that focus on the household employment sta- uh, space spend a lot of time just doing consultations and helping household employers understand what their obligations are. You'll also find some very, very savvy nannies and caregivers, right? Those that have done this as a profession, they come into a job interview saying, no, here's what I expect, right? I'm going to be paid on the books and we're going to talk about a total compensation package. We're not just going to talk about an hourly rate because doing this allows both you, the employer, and me, the employee, to take advantage of tax breaks. And so in order to get an understanding of what all those are, I certainly recommend you do a little bit of research, right? You can check our website at Homework Solutions or others and find a state tip sheet, a fact sheet that gives you the guidance of household employment rules in your state. But generally speaking, everybody needs to be set up as an employer. Right, you need to have a federal employer identification number. You need to have state tax accounts. Right, so you're going to pay unemployment taxes in your state. You may choose to withhold income tax from your employee. Household employment, believe it or not, is the one place where you're not required to withhold income tax. And so, 
you can skip that and you don't not necessarily need to open an income tax account, uh, but most people do so that their employee is not stuck with a big tax bill at the end of the year and not having mm-hmm. to make their own tax payments. New hire reporting is something people often overlook when they hire an employee, right? Critically important. States mandate it. You have to tell them when you've hired an employee, this is how states are able to uh, identify that an employee is working. If a garnishment notice needs to be sent to the employer, that's how you're going to be notified of that. And then you've got tax filing obligations, right? On a quarterly or annual basis, depending upon the state you're in and the dollar amount you're paying your employee. So there's a lot that goes into it. Again, consult with a service to get an understanding of exactly what that is. And for the financial professionals out there, I, I know so often, I talk to CPAs who say, yeah, I've got like two or three clients that have a nanny. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. I don't know it well. I just want a solution that's going to make it easy for them. And I think so often they're turning to the payroll solutions that are focused on the household employment space so that they can go about uh, what they view to be more profitable parts of their business, right? The work that they really came to do, not chasing after the nanny tax piece. That's a smaller piece of the tax code, but also important to those it impacts. Right. And that's actually, it's funny when we started the law firm, you know, I'm a tax attorney. So for a few years, I did that work on my own because I'm thinking, you know, it's something I can do. It was very interesting to us because when we started to grow, um, we joked that we got a CPA so that we stayed married um, because it was a lot of work. And, um, And then we got a payroll company. And it was such an odd thing for me as a tax attorney, because I thought for so long that and I think this is all an issue that a lot of people have is the idea that I ought to be able to manage this, right? right like you feel right. like there's enough hours in the day. So when we finally got our payroll tax company, even though we were a small business, it was amazing to us because all of a sudden we were just signing papers. We, we weren't doing the math anymore. We weren't worried about what day it was. We weren't worried about when the transfers were going to hit the bank to go where they needed to go because everything was done for us. And I think that that's kind of the value of services that sometimes, especially on the household employer side that you don't get, because you think, how hard can it be? And, And I think that that's where, when you start talking about all these things. So that being said, we've established it can be complicated. Can you talk, and I, you don't have to, to share details um, specific to your company if you don't want to, but can you talk generally about how pricing of these things work? Because I will say that was the thing that shocked me the most about the payroll company is I thought in my head that it was going to be incredibly expensive. I, I think I thought that I was hiring somebody kind of full-time to do all this work for me. And I was actually surprised to learn that it was per employee. Like I thought it was per business. And again, this, I was a new business owner, so I didn't know any better, even though I knew the tax code part, right? Like yep. I didn't know the business part. So can you talk just again, you could be general, like if I was going to call a service, like if I'm worried, cause I'm thinking, well, I don't know, like I only have one nanny. Do I really need somebody? How does it work? And how much is it going to cost me? And what does it get me? Can you kind of walk us through the process of how people should, or what people should look out for in terms of what should be covered and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So I'm also glad you pointed out that there is this belief that it should be easy, right? The nanny tax, you know, people often think that it it shouldn't be a big deal. But Mm -hmm. all those things that I just explained that you have to do as an employer take a lot of time. I've seen estimates from the IRS. So when the IRS revised the, uh, created this Schedule H back in 1996 and revised the way household employment taxes were done, there were estimates and they were saying it took almost 60 hours a year for people to truly be compliant and do all things that require payroll taxes. And so, when you're looking at a few hundred dollars a quarter, which is what uh, 
pretty much all the payroll providers out there are going to cost, right? A couple hundred dollars a quarter, a year-end fee to create the Schedule H and year-end summaries and, and file W-2s at the end of the year. Compared to spending 50 plus hours a year, making sure you have pay stubs for your employee every week that meet the law, right? Because in in some states, you have to have nine different items on a pay stub and provide it each week. Knowing that all of that is done is well worth a couple hundred dollars a quarter. And I also can speak to accountants and tax professionals out there who say, yeah, I do this for my clients. And they're stunned when they realize uh, that it is extremely affordable on a per hour basis to them, right? Because they're giving it to a company that's has expertise in this. They don't need to spend time researching the latest update to the tax code that year because that's all that they do all day long. And so it's this this niche within the payroll space, but also broadly within employment where companies like ours at Homework Solutions have really tried tried to provide a solution that is going to Make payroll simple again, right? I mean, we say it all the time in Homework <laughs> Solutions. Go ahead, simplify, right? We right. want payroll to be what you initially thought it was going to be. All you should have to do at the end of the week is call in, email in, go to the website and say, my employee worked 35 hours and they're going to get paid, right? And at the end of the year, the taxes are done. Well, and, and so again, kind of going back to the thing when you mentioned the, the 60 hours um, a year to comply. I think about that as a business owner, but then, you know, I always thought about that as a business owner, I should say. But when you say that out loud as a mom, I think that's 60 hours away from my kids, right? Yep. Like if you're if you're hiring someone to do childcare, you're already going through that conflicted feeling of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm spending time away from my kids because I'm working. And now you're spending time away from your kids to pay for, well, to, to manage the person that is spending time with your kids. So I actually think that's a really interesting perspective on, you know, how well, and, and I was also telling my, my business owners that, you know, you don't, you don't start a business to do the paperwork. You certainly don't hire a a nanny or another employee to do paperwork. So it it is really interesting. Let's, um, since you also mentioned risk earlier, since we're kind of putting this in context of, of money, because people like to think, well, what do I get for my money? Well, the one thing we we've talked about, you know, is it's time, but what is the risk? Because I think that this is the other reason that there's not a lot of, I shouldn't say, I think this is maybe a reason for people to consider non-compliance when they yeah. think about it, because they're like, it seems like a lot of work, which mm-hmm. we've, we've affirmed that that's true. So it seems like it's a lot of work, but you know, what's the worst that could happen? So understanding that you can't possibly tell us the worst that could possibly happen. What are some of the ramifications of not paying a household employee the way that you're supposed to. Yeah, so it's very common, right? Let me begin there. Recently, you had uh, former Commissioner Rosati, your podcast, talking about the tax gap, right? Mm-hmm. And the International Nanny Association commissioned a study about household employment taxes and what the compliance rate was. Uh, this was published in 2018. They found that the estimate was between three and a half to nearly $6 billion a year wow. of unpaid taxes just with the household employment space. The National Domestic Workers' Rights Alliance estimates there's two and a half million domestic employees working as nannies and housekeepers, caregivers in our homes that are directly employed. Yet there's about 200,000 Schedule H's that are filed a year. That's it. So there's a big gap right between those mm-hmm. who have an employee and those who are actually paying the tax. And that absolutely is explained in part by this perceived lack of enforcement and lack of, lack of risk, right? How likely am I to get caught and what's the penalty if I do? Sure. This past year has taught us a lot about what that penalty is, and it has a dramatic impact on the lives of those who are working in our homes. 
when so many people lost jobs in this past year, whether it was they were furloughed temporarily or if it was permanent, they had no safety net to fall back on. They went to file for unemployment insurance and the state said, we have no record of you ever working for anybody. Sorry, you don't get any benefits. Now, in a normal year, if that employee files that claim, the state is going to pursue this, right? And should pull that string and they might get back to the employer and say, Mr. or Mrs. Smith, you didn't pay your taxes, right? And that's a risk to the family. That, that's, how, that's a very easy way to get caught if your employee applies for unemployment benefits. Mm-hmm. And the penalty to the family, you're going to have to go pay your back taxes. And then once the state knows about it, right, keep pulling the string, reporting to the federal government, and you're going to have to go back and file the FICA taxes, which you didn't withhold from the employee, you're going to pay both halves. <laughs> so it right. starts to get expensive, right? Bigger risk is if you get into a wage and hour lawsuit. If an employee were to dispute the pay that they got and says, no, I didn't get paid for the overtime that I worked um, because domestic employees are hourly by law, right? The, the Fair Labor Standards Act says they must get an overtime rate. And so if you don't have pay subs, if you don't have documentation of the hours that the employee worked, you're likely to lose a lawsuit. And then the biggest risk, I believe, is actually an employee getting hurt in your home, right? That, that financial risk of a lawsuit a workers' comp claim, there's really no cap to what the upside could be on something like that. Now, it's really rare that it happens, uh, but I think most household employers don't think about that, right? They don't think about this when they're hiring a nanny or they think I'm just hiring a babysitter. And so we want them just to be aware of what those risks are. Uh, And then the flip side of this, if I might, is is jumping to the benefits piece, right? I mean, why do we want to do this? And it's there is a big benefit to having a professional working relationship with a caregiver who's in your home. And it's not to say professional in the sense of let's keep this you know, at arm's length and not treat them as part of the family. It's, it's to say, let's treat them with the respect that they deserve for being the professional that they are. Mm-hmm. And so many of these people are going and getting training and, and degrees and learning more about their craft and getting better at it every day so that they can provide a better experience to their charges, to your loved ones, be that your children or your parents. They deserve to be treated the right way to get a safety net, to get retirement benefits, to get paid leave, to be able to take advantage of, of tax breaks and the ability to verify their income so they can get a loan. Right? Now, to the employer, I, I mentioned earlier taking a total compensation approach with a, a household employee. And employers, again, so often overlook that. They're missing out on things like, like healthcare reimbursements and QSERAs and ICRAs. And how can I set one of these up so that I can provide health insurance to my employee? And maybe instead of pay, paying them $40,000 a year, right, just in cash, I want to pay them $37,000 and $3,000 of it's in the healthcare reimbursement. Well, we both benefit from the tax side of that. Right. And what other benefits can I offer that are important to that employee? Maybe it's uh, some tuition reimbursement. These are all things that a household employer can do just like any other business. And so looking at those benefits, if you will, are a way to, to counter the argument that, well, if I'm going to have to pay an additional tax, it's just not worth it. Right. If you're paying on the books, you can take advantage of these tax breaks. And so it's not just a direct increase in cost dollar per dollar of what the taxes are. Right. And that's actually something I tell my my small business owners outside of the household employer realm is that when you pay someone, the benefit of that is that you can deduct it becomes you do have tax breaks that are associated with doing things the right way. One of the things you spoke to when you were talking about benefits. This is an area that I think people are also confused about. Is this something that services help with, or is this something you get separately? Because, for example, when you were mentioning um, benefits, I'm also thinking about things like paid time off, holidays. How do you know 
what it is. Because again, if I'm not a business owner, except for my household employee, how do I know what they're entitled to and what the rules are in my state and, and who helps me out with that? Yeah. If you're working with what I would say is a high quality service that's going to be doing this, they should be talking to you about this. Every client that enrolls with us, we spend time on the phone with a dedicated payroll specialist that's going to walk through your situation with you and talk about your compensation plan with your employee. And are, are, there, you know, are we tracking the accrual of leave? And oh, you happen to be in a state that requires paid sick leave. Let's make sure that we get that set up on your account. And when your employee leaves, are you required to pay out unused vacation time or PTO, right? What the rules are in your state. Those are things we don't expect most household employers to know. And if they just go and buy payroll software off the shelf or they're using it built into some other tax software that they have, they're not going to get that guidance around the the law, right? And Mm -hmm. what the legal side of household employment and making sure that you are doing everything by the books. And that's another one of those risks. And so you should be looking to your payroll provider um, or any financial professional you're working with to point out these risks, help you understand what they are, and then make a determination of, of what's the best way to address it. On the benefit side, there are companies that, that manage these, right? There's a number of them that handle HRAs uh, that will complete, do complete management of an HRA for a household employment arrangement. We also spend, we partner with some of them. And we also have some of our clients who choose to say, setting this up is fairly easy. And so we try to create templates to make it simple, to give them a starting point to create their own. We do this with work agreements. Absolutely critical. You have spelled out on paper what the work arrangement is with your employee. What's the hourly rate? It's gross, not net, right? (laughs) Explaining what the pay is going to be so that two months later, there's not a question that nobody knows the answer to, or there's a dispute about because you worked so hard to find this caregiver. They got to know your family. They love your kids. And the last thing you want is this relationship to end because you're disputing who's paying the FICA taxes, right? right? Spell all that out from the start. Use our work agreement or or one provided by another payroll provider as a starting point because it's going to have all the things you need to talk about with your employee. And that's actually one of the questions I used to get quite a bit on my Ask the Tax Girl segment was about what do you do when you found the person that you think is perfect and they don't want to be in the system? Because we've been talking about the importance of making sure that people are in the system and that you're paying properly. What about the person that comes and, you know, maybe yeah. they've been awesome at taking care of your kids or they've been really respectful with your mother and your mom has a good rapport with them. And they say, you know what? Absolutely. I don't want to be paid on the books. You have to pay me under the table. How do you handle that? Yeah. Very difficult conversation to have, particularly if you're in that situation where they've already been working with you, right? If they're already part of the family. And that's where you need to make a decision of what do I need to do here? Um, am I willing to pay them more? Right. So I'm going to increase the gross pay so that they get the same take home pay, the same net, because so often the employee is thinking about that number. Mm -hmm. Right. They go into a negotiation thinking about what I need in take home pay at the end of the day to meet my obligations. Employers are thinking gross because that's what the tax is all driven by. And so we often explain to people a couple of things. One, you can file and pay taxes with an ITIN because so often one of the reasons that people don't want to be paid on the books is because they might not have work authorization in the United States. Mm-hmm. Every few years, right? Or every, I don't know, four, eight years, whatever the number might be, we hear talk of immigration reform. And oftentimes there's a discussion about a, a path to citizenship. And a piece of that is always, does someone have a history of living and working and paying their taxes in the United States? Well, a way to do that is to make sure you have an ITIN, right? And let's put the employment on the books and make sure we are paying taxes 
so that they have that documented history so that if and when there is this path to citizenship, they have what they need, right? They're further along that path. And also, so you don't get in trouble. <laughs> right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, for the, for the family too, right? I mean, two wrongs don't make a right, right? I mean, if you do get caught employing somebody who you know, wasn't legally authorized to work in the United States, do you want to also say, no, by the way, I didn't pay their taxes, right? At right. least you could have paid their taxes and not have the, the financial costs there. Now, I don't think that you know the Department of Labor is running around trying to find every individual housekeeper or nanny in the U.S., right? That's really not a, a great use of their time, but it, it does come up. I mean, mm-hmm. the, our business was launched back in 1993 after some high-level cabinet appointees, you know, their nominations were really undermined by revelations that they hadn't paid taxes for household employees. Yeah, it was nanny gate. I remember exactly. That. <laughs> yeah, two of them in a row, right? And so that was really our, our business started right before that and took off right after as it became widely known. And that, that's the risk that people think of, but they also think, well, I'm not running for office one day, right? No big deal. It's it's not gonna it's not gonna happen to me. But it's much easier to get caught than that. Again, it's a an unemployment claim that's filed by an employee. Frankly, it's a disgruntled neighbor. I have taken a phone call from somebody who said, my next door neighbor is not paying taxes for their nanny. Wow. What should I do? Now, wow. there really isn't a great answer to give that person, but it can unravel a number of different ways. So we've kind of been focusing on childcare and you did reference care for older adults. Are there other kinds of folks? I mean, obviously, you know, most of us don't have chauffeurs and, and, and that level of employee, but are there other kinds of household employees that people need to think about? Yeah, everybody talks about the nanny tax, but again, it is, it is broader than that. And the biggest one, the fastest growing one is senior care, right? It is significantly less expensive to have long-term care for mom or dad in their home, right? The place where they want to be, they want to age in place to do that with a direct hire model rather than using a placement agency. You get to take advantage of uh, some pieces of wage and hour law. For instance, if you have a live-in employee in many states, an overtime differential is not required. So you can have somebody who works 50, even 60 hours a week who you are paying just the straight time rate. Mm-hmm. You also have the ability to take advantage of sleep time exemptions. If you have 24-hour care in your home, again, also very important in senior care, sleep time exemptions are lost if there's a third-party employment arrangement, right? So if a, an agency is employing the caregiver, they must get overtime for every hour. Whereas oh. if you're hiring directly you can stretch your budget further. And in the senior care space, this is increasingly important. We have seen this also in the past year where people have looked at long-term care facilities and nursing homes with a much more cautious eye and said, now I really want to find a way to make sure that we have care for mom and dad at home. And so it's certainly a growing piece of our business and something that people, again, aren't thinking of themselves as an employer, right? When they hire the caregiver to come work there, they're not thinking of the term nanny taxes. So in some ways, it's a misnomer because it does apply far beyond any taxes. It's it's any work that you control in your home. Actually, the the elder care is something that we've been talking about more. I had um, an attorney on the show to talk about folks who are in the sandwich generation like me, where you might be taking care of children, but also be taking be tasked with taking care of older adults. Are there? Um, and I think that that's where again you need to talk about the the term nanny taxes. But that would also apply to somebody who came in and regularly cleaned maybe and also did other household work. I mean, look, where is the, and I think that's where, again, people get confused. I know, obviously, it's very facts and circumstance oriented. So you can't say, you know, oh, if they do these number of things, but what should people think about if somebody is coming in to help take care of mom and dad, maybe they're not there full time, they're there to make sure they're getting their meals and make sure they're getting their meds and also doing a little like cleaning, like 
when do they become a household employee? Is it the same kind of discussion as with the nannies or how does that work? Yeah. So the IRS uses uh, what they call a 20 point test, right? And there is no set score that you get on this test, right? It's a, it's the totality of the circumstances and it really revolves around control, mm-hmm. control of the work, control of the schedule, control of the pay and financial risk. So is the worker taking financial risk, holding themselves out to be their own business? Are they working for multiple families in the neighborhood? Are they marketing? It is absolutely possible for a housekeeper to work for five different families on the same block and be an employee of all five of them, right? Um, you know, they might just be working for each one a different day or a few hours of the week at each one. Mm-hmm. As the employer, what you should think about is, well, do I know that this person has their own business, right? Do I know that they are filing their own taxes? Because if they are not, if you don't know that that's happening and there ever were a dispute, it is extremely likely that the IRS would determine this was an employee based on the work that would be described in a, a, an SS-8 is the form you send to the IRS to determine whether or not uh, what worker classification is this an independent contractor or an employee. Um, those almost always in the household employment space come back saying it was an employee. And given the, the likelihood that that would be the result, you, the employer, are on the hook for all the FICA taxes that the person you thought was an independent contractor probably didn't pay, right? Because they probably weren't paying self-employment taxes, both halves of FICA on their own. And so it's something to discuss with the employee upfront, uh, no matter what type of work it is, if it's a caregiver, if it's a nanny, if it's a babysitter, or if it's a housekeeper, right? Um, let's just be clear, this is an employment relationship or no, this is not. You're, you're doing this work across multiple families in the household. You're taking risk. You're supplying uh, your own equipment for the work that you're doing. That is, you know, all of those are factors that point towards an independent contractor. And uh, so when you, when you were talking about you know, kind of the the line sometimes being blurred and the control element. One of the other things that comes up a lot, and I don't know if this is something that your company helps people out with or not, but one of the things I also questions I get a lot typically in December is um, how do you make the distinction or can you make a distinction between a gift and a bonus at the end of the year, especially yeah. because these are people you know, if somebody's taking care of your mom and they're great, it they they become part of the family, right? And the person who's always there taking care of your kids, it's it's someone who's part of the family. If you want to give them a little extra, how do you stay out of trouble? Yeah, well, you stay out of trouble by reporting it. All right, mm-hmm. it is a bonus and it needs to be taxed. But we often explain to people at the end of the year when they're calling with this exact question: Is have you taken advantage of the tax breaks that are available to an employer? All right. Have you provided any types of retirement benefit to your employee? Have you provided you know, tuition reimbursement, healthcare reimbursements? What are the things that you could be putting in place that are going to allow you to give the employee that amount of money on a tax-free basis? Right? You know, maybe you should have a retirement plan set up for the employee, or maybe you're giving them this additional money and you know, they plan to use it to put into an IRA on their own. But generally speaking, if it's cash, even if it's a gift card that you are giving an employee who's working for you, that is taxable. That is not, it's tied to the work that they're doing. It's just like if I have any employee that we have at Homework Solutions, and I think they did a great job that year. If I want to give them a $500 gift card, I can't just do it and say it was a gift from you know, the, the right. bottom of my heart, right? Sure. This is an employee. It's the same situation. And so it, it does make it difficult, right? Because it's blurring those lines. I know there's probably people out there who are you know writing a check or giving cash for, for something and not telling us about that part of it. But Right. Again, to do everything right and make sure you're not getting in trouble, it should be reported as a bonus paid to an employee. Right. 
and as I'm as I'm listening, so if I'm if I'm one of the folks who's listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, you know, oh my gosh, I've been doing this wrong all this time. And I really want to do the right thing because I don't want to get in trouble. And, you know, what if one day I'm being considered for a cabinet position? How do they find a service? And and how do they know that they're good? Because I also think that if you've never been a business owner before, or even if you have, and you're a little bit of a control freak like I am, your big concern is what if I'm turning over this task to somebody else who mm-hmm. maybe doesn't do the right thing? And how do I even know that they're doing the right thing? Especially yeah. since, as we've discussed, this is really complicated. So how do people find a service and what kinds of questions should they ask? First off, lots of people just turn to you know search for the word payroll, right? They'll hop on the internet and search for payroll and see what they can find. Most of the results are not going to be specific to household payroll. The rules are different, right? Mm-hmm. We look at every bill that's passed and and we, we monitor Bloomberg and what they're putting out and, and notifying us of local tax law changes in municipalities. And uh, we dig into those to try to find, is there an exemption for a household employer? Right? Mm-hmm. Often there is, right? Sometimes businesses or employment is defined as those with two or more employees. And so you want to find an organization that's focused on household employment. So if you search for nanny tax, household payroll, if you visit us at homeworksolutions.com, you can find our knowledge center where you can find all the details about what's required. But what you should be looking for is an organization that has a history of doing this, that does it in multiple states, right? That demonstrates a a commitment to this, not just, hey, we're going to cram this into the payroll software that we already have, right? And and we're going to file the way we do all other payroll taxes because it is a little bit different. The forms are different in many states for a household employer versus what they are for your traditional business. And so try to find something that is specific to this industry so that you're going to get the, the level of service that you need so you get the peace of mind and you can sleep at night. We, I mentioned this earlier, but we, we really believe that our goal, our mission is to simplify household employment, to provide peace of mind to families at difficult times in their lives. It's stressful when you hire a kid, or sorry, when you have a kid and you hire a caregiver um, to be their nanny. You're, you're worried about whether they're the right caregiver and whether they're taking care of them the way you would. You don't want to have to worry about the taxes and am I going to get a tax notice too, right? And so it's, it's peace of mind on two fronts. One, it, it's the taxes are done. You don't have to worry about it. And it's two, your caregiver is going to get paid on Friday morning and they're going to show up to work, right? They're not right. going to be upset that, oh, my direct deposit's not in my account. Right? There's not going to be a dispute about something down the road if you're working with a reputable company that's doing it the right way. Well, this is awesome. Thank you so much. I think this has been really helpful for both potential, I guess, uh, household employers and also tax practitioners who may work with those families. Because I do know that this is something, it's a difficult question to ask and it's a difficult conversation to have on the tax professional side too, when you know that there's somebody that should have been on the books and there hasn't been. So I think this is a really good uh, you know, direction for folks to, to start. If uh, folks wanted, if they had questions and they wanted to find you and you wanted to be found either on social media or on the web, where would you send them? Yeah, homeworksolutions.com. Perfect. Right, And we're, we're on social media. You'll find us on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Twitter as well. But if you go to homeworksolutions.com, we've got an entire knowledge center that's got nearly 30 years worth of content. This is all we've done throughout that time. And so all the questions that families would have, that their financial professionals would have, that professional fiduciaries would have, what their obligations are, we've got answers to them there. Perfect. And we'll make sure to put those links in the show notes so that folks can just click directly on them. Thank you so much again for being here today. Thanks for having me. 
I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.